that. What is up, Logan Blackman Show fans? I am, of course, your host, Logan Blackman, and this is, of course, the Logan Blackman Show here on The Basement Podcast. It is Friday, June 5th, 2020, and right now, on this June 5th edition of The Logan Blackman Show, in Urbandale, Iowa, is 79 degrees and sunny with a high of 90 and looks like nothing's going to happen really for the rest of the day as far as precipitation-wise. 10% chance of rain, wind coming to the west at 6 miles an hour. Air quality is good. And it feels like 82 instead of 79, which is one of those rare occasions where it feels hotter than what it actually is. And if you were woken up by the, the pounding rain at like 4.30 this morning, you were not alone. Because Logan Blackman, host of the world-famous Logan Blackman show, was also awakened by the pounding rain on the window. It was loud. Logan couldn't sleep. Logan needed to get his rest for the Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show, which, if you listen to Wednesday's show, you would know today, is pretty pretty jam-packed. It's pretty fun. I have a fantastic show for you playing today. So, of course, today's Friday, meaning it is Friday fun day, so we have a tier list for you. And with the Premier League coming back two weeks from today, we have a tier list of Premier League strikers. All of all the best-known strikers from across the Premier League's history ever since its inception will be on this list. Now, it's not every single striker, but it is a good majority of strikers that have taken that have uh, played in the Premier League throughout its time. So that'll be a lot of fun for that tier list. We've also got KBO and Bundesliga scores to go over because there were games recently and then we got games to preview this upcoming weekend la liga is coming back soon as well i believe that's june 11th so we're just a short little bit away from that as well so i look forward to all of that it's going to be a blast june we are starting to see sports come back and of course the nba as we said on wednesday when we did our whole playoff bracket thing is coming back at the end of july and they've got the 22 teams picked out the nba is back so we should expect that in the end of July, the NBA draft I have heard is coming up on September 25th. I think that's what uh, reports said. So we'll see if that's actually accurate and see who the Bulls will draft and if they will have, in fact, the seventh pick again for it seems like the 500th time in their history. Jeez. It just feels like every single year the Bulls have the seventh pick in the draft. We went over this on Wednesday, drafting Kobe White. Drafting Wendell Carter, drafting Lowry Markinen, drafting Kirk Heinrich, drafting Luol Dang. It just always seems the Bulls draft at the seventh spot all the time. And it's not saying anything bad because all those players have done very, very good things for the Chicago Bulls in their times in the uniform. And we every Chicago Bulls fans loves those players. Luol Dang, Kirk Heinrich, they're just the those were the early, like the the end of the Jerry Krause era's GM. And the start of the very bad Bulls teams until Derrick Rose came into the league. But those were like two great faces of the Chicago Bulls. Kirk Heinrich, Iowa guy, was drafted the same year as LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosh. Is easily the best player in that entire draft class. So hopefully, if the Bulls get the seventh pick again, they're available. They're able to get a very high quality player. But you know what? A top pick in the draft would not be as bad as would not be bad <laughs> at all. I would take a top five pick. But the Bulls have a decent history drafting seven, so if they get it again, uh, I hope they're they're as good as they have been in years past. But the NBA is coming back, 
which is exciting. It's exciting every single week. It seems like we get an announcement on a different sport. It's just beautiful to see. I love it. As we said earlier, La Liga coming back next week. Premier League coming back in two weeks. They just released the schedule, so we'll go over the schedule before we go into Friday Fun Day and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we got some college football stuff to talk about. Got, we're ranking the top 10 quarterbacks in college football. This is not just based off of if they're able to go to the NFL draft this year. This is just the best overall quarterbacks in college football. We left some people off that list, but they will be men- they will get mentioned after we were done listing the main top 10. But we got some good quarterbacks. There's a lot of good quarterbacks in college football right now. And these next two drafts should be very good as far as the quarterback selection is concerned. Then we got some NFL stuff to talk about. We got our backup quarterback bracket, much like the starting quarterback bracket in the uniform bracket, which we've done numerous times on the show. We love doing different styles of brackets. We got backup quarterbacks. I was planning on doing this, I believe, on Monday when we talked about Tua because that was when it seemed like Tua was going to be the starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. So we were going to do that tier list, but change it so Ryan Fitzpatrick was back as the backup on the the Dolphins instead of Tua, and then we didn't get to on two, we didn't get to on Monday, and we went to Wednesday, didn't get to it on Wednesday. So now we are here on Friday, which we are more open to doing random things on Fridays, anyways. So it just happened to land perfectly on today. But before we get into any of that, we have some I don't know if you want to call it drama. I mean, I guess it is kind of drama, but we have some interesting uh, things popping up in the world of football, in the NFL. Most notably, two quarterbacks, one drafted this year and one that is going to retire this year. Let's start off with the Drew Brees one first. I think everybody and their mother knows what I'm talking about when I say the Drew Brees one. So Drew Brees went on an interview. He got interviewed by, I think, Yahoo Sports. And they were talking about Colin Kaepernick kneeling for the National Anthem. And you'll get differing viewpoints on this for whoever you ask. There's the different military voices that go, oh, yes, this is disrespectful to the American flag. And you got other military sources that are like, this isn't, this is very disrespectful to the American flag. So you got two completely different viewpoints on this matter. And now I'm starting to think that I repeated myself, but I don't, I don't know if I did. One of those was supposed to be different (laughs) than the other ones. And I think y'all should know that. But, yeah, so Drew Brees came out and said, I will never let anybody disrespect the American flag because his grandfathers have been in the military, so it's disrespectful viewing, kneeling in front of the American flag. I'll say this on the whole situation. I think the sitting down on the bench when he, when Colin Kaepernick first did this, when he sat down against uh, in a preseason game against the San Diego Chargers, I think sitting down for the anthem was kind of seen as more. I, I saw the sitting down as more disrespectful than the kneeling because he said from the very beginning, it's not about the military. The flag is what this is uh, paraphrasing about what Colin Kaepernick said, but the flag stands for liberty justice, freedom for all, but I don't feel like that's happening in this country right now, so I don't feel like I need to stand for the anthem. And a lot of people uh, were very upset, to say the least, about this whole thing. And then now, of course, 
It gets brought up again in 2020 with all the stuff that's going around in our country right now. So Colin Kaepernick is getting talked about again. And it was kind of weird. This is just a random talking point. It's kind of related to this. It is related to this. But on Blackout Tuesday, the San Francisco 49ers, I think I might have mentioned this on Wednesday, but I don't remember if I did or not, uh, posted something on Twitter. And, of course, everybody got upset about it because they cut or traded or they cut and or traded Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed from their team, which were the two figureheads of this movement. And I, again, I, again, I think I said this on Wednesday, but that's not what they're real. They just wanted to be a voice for it instead of like the full symbol or what people are talking about. If that, if that makes sense, but this whole comment by Drew Brees is so, um, what did I write down? Well, it's just basically a thing of reading the room. It's incredibly tone deaf to say the least. You know what's going on right now. You see what people are protesting about. And you still come out and say that. That's that's not really good at reading the room, Drew. I'm sorry, but it's it's just not. And then you've got quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers who have come out and posted stuff on Instagram about how this was never about the flag. So now Aaron Rodgers is getting more fans than what he's probably ever had in his NFL career, at least outside of NFL circles. But this is just an incredibly tone deaf and a very bad way of reading the room. This is kind of the exact opposite of that. It's kind of looking at what's going on and it's doing something completely different. This is not a, a time to go out and say, this is disrespecting the flag, which a lot of people since then have changed their opinions on the entire matter and have actually looked at it for what it was. And like Aaron Rodgers says, it never was about disrespecting the flag. It's about for standing for something that is kind of a hot, hot button issue with a lot of Americans and doing it on such a, a grand stage. Cause if you know the, and you look at this around other countries in the world, like if you look, watch their sporting events, like the Premier League, since we're going to do a Friday fun day about it, they don't play God Save the Queen before every single Premier League match. They line up, they do their little entrance song, they line up, and then they shake hands, they go on the field. They don't sing God Save the Queen before every match. That's a World Cup thing, but they don't do it before every match in the Premier League. So the national anthem in the United States is seen a lot differently than what other national anthems across the world are because they don't do it before every single sporting event like we do. So to do a protest on such a massive scale on a thing that means, that means so much to people, a lot of people are going to switch that and say, stand up for the national anthem. Even though, no matter how many times he says it, it's not about the flag. It's not disrespecting the flag. I have friends in the military. They told me this is the more respectful thing to do. Because he did sit down against the charges in the first time he did this. And he, I believe someone, one of his friends in the military said, let's try kneeling next time. Let's not sit down. So again, this has differing viewpoints across the nation. But again, since this first started... I think millions of people's opinions, uh, maybe thousands, maybe not. We're maybe we're not reaching the millions yet, 
But a lot of people's opinions have changed on this whole matter. And Colin Kaepernick is still without a uh, without a job in the NFL. And the Bears, Akeem, Akeem Hicks, for the Chicago Bears, threw a low blow to Mike Glennon. Say, we signed Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon logged it on the Twitter. He did not expect that. He's like, man, I'm just chilling as the backup quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm just, I'm just living the dream. I'm back in Florida, where I started my career. He started in Tampa, but still Florida. And then he just gets <laughs> sucker punched by Akeem Hicks. And the Mike Glennon experiment in Chicago was an utter failure. I think everybody can admit that. But man, Mike Glennon did not need that. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure he's a little upset. But I think he can sit there with the money that he got from the Chicago Bears and go, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. And we addressed this whole Colin Kaepernick situation a few weeks ago. Actually, no, a few months ago when he had his workout. And there's a little bit of me that thinks, does he want to be back in the NFL? Or does he want to continue doing this activist role? Which are both very... Uh, what do you want to call it? Very good avenues, I guess. Both are not, they're both good at, as an activist. He can go out and spread the word of what he's trying to stop and what he's trying to do in America. As a football player, you can do that on a monster scale, but how bad does he want to be in the NFL? I don't know. But I think what Colin Kaepernick done, has done has gotten people talking about a situation and about a topic that is not a very comfortable topic with a lot of Americans. It just isn't. Police brutality and the Black Lives Matter movement. Two things that are not very, uh, that makes people uncomfortable if you bring it up. And he got the whole thing started. He was like, let's start, let's start looking for change in America. And of course, a lot of people are upset. But again, a lot of people's opinions have changed on the matter. But there will be differing opinions about this whole thing. But to come out and say this during this exact time is a very, very stupid decision by Drew Brees. Now, I believe that everybody is entitled to their opinions. But if you say an opinion that you know a lot of people aren't going to be on your side about, you better be ready for the ramifications. And Drew Brees issued an apology using a, and I didn't like this about the apology, that he used a stock image picture of basically, um, uh, what movie is it? Is it Alien or Predator? I haven't seen either. I just know the scene of Arnold and Carl Weathers. Dylan! That scene. I don't remember what movie. It's one of Alien or Predator, Alien vs. Predator. It's one of those movies. I don't know. But don't use the stock footage image. That's not, that seems a little disingenuous, doesn't it? And this goes to the topic of, does he actually mean it? I saw Booger McFarlane brought this up on part of my take this morning of, oh crap, what I I just had it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> are you actually apologizing for what you said or are you, are you apologizing for the reason, for that you got caught? It's not really the most sincere apology. At least that's what a lot of people are looking at this as. It's like, oh man, I got caught saying something that not a lot of people agree with. I'm not saying I'm sorry for my opinion. I'm saying I'm sorry for the reaction, I guess. Because Drew Brees 
his stock and popularity went shot down like, I don't know, like a freaking rocket. If you tilted the rocket upside down, it just launched it back towards Earth. That's how fast it dropped rapidly. You saw protests in New Orleans where they're saying F Drew Brees on the streets. And Drew Brees, to his credit, has done a lot for the city of New Orleans. But now with this comment coming out, a lot of people are going, oh, he was just doing that for the the publicity. Publicity. Pub publicity. Which people, again, are going to view this. A lot of people are going to have differing viewpoints on this. Because, again, it's a hot-button topic. A lot of people are going to have differing viewpoints on the situation. But it's a very, very, very bad time to spout out about that. Knowing what's going on right now. It's not a... It's not a very good... It's not a good time. It's not a good time. And Michael Thomas to his credit, has forgiven Drew Brees for his comments. Michael Thomas went on Twitter, said stuff about Drew Brees, saying he accepts his apology. That's how I was raised to do it. But a lot of people aren't going to. There's going to be a lot of players that are going to be upset for a very long time, and some people may never forgive him. For Drew's sake, I hope his teammates don't hold grudges against him. You see Alvin Kamara coming on Twitter, saying stuff, about Drew Brees, how it's disappointing to hear about this. And you got people like Ed Reed, Steven Jackson, Malcolm Jenkins that are spouting off on Drew Brees. And I don't think forgiveness is coming Drew Brees' way from either one of those guys. But if the Saints want to do anything this season, winning-wise, they're going to... It's going to be hard to focus on winning when you've got a divided locker room. That's not what you need. Or a locker room with nobody liking your star quarterback. That's it's not really a winning formula. So hopefully Drew reaches out and hopefully for the Saints' sake and Drew's sake that a lot of people accept his apology. But again, this is just not a great time to be saying this stuff. Read the room. That's the, that's the message. That's mainly the message here read the room and again everybody's entitled their opinions and i don't i'm not gonna hate somebody for their opinions i i said this on wednesday i don't have a hateful bone in my body i i saw something on instagram yesterday and this is a completely different story obviously but who's your least favorite team in the nba i don't really have one i think the only teams i really hate in sports are the patriots St. Louis Blues, St. Louis Cardinals, and the Minnesota Wild and the Detroit Red Wings. I think those, and the White Sox and Reds. Those are the teams I truly hate. I don't hate individuals. So if you have a differing viewpoint of what I have, that's cool. That's your opinion. I don't really care. I'm not going to hate you for it. I may be, I might disagree with you, which is live, which is a very, th- it's a thing that can likely happen with opinions. People have differing opinions. Not everybody has the same opinion. But this is just not a good time to share your opinion. And if you have an opinion that's not very popular, you got to accept the ramifications of what's going to happen. So was Drew Brees' apology legit, or was it just a, I'm sorry I got caught apology? Which, again, your opinion can change. <laughs> your opinion 
on that matter can be very different than somebody's like, oh, he actually meant it, or no, he used a stock footage photo. No, he's just doing this because he got caught. If he was really sorry, he wouldn't have said it. So there's differing viewpoints on that. And then the other quarterback we got to talk about is Jake Fromm. Drafted in the fifth round by the Buffalo Bills. Started a quarterback for Georgia. Went to a national championship game. Went to a Rose Bowl. Did all of this stuff as a starting quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs as a freshman. And he had a text conversation with this girl. I think it was in, was it last year? It was recent, but I don't know when exactly it was. I don't have the dates for it. It was either last year or like in high school or something. I can't really remember. But basically, the main talking point of this whole text conversation with this girl was only elite white men should have guns. Elite white men. That's not really a phrase we should be throwing around at all. I was going to say in 2020, but really at all, (laughs) in whatever year, you shouldn't really be throwing that around, especially now. And the girl that said the screenshot sat on them for a year. Okay, so it was a year. She sat on these for a year and she came out and said, I didn't have the courage to post this. What? No, you're a clout chaser. That's the only thing that matters. You waited till the exact, the 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 most time of opportunity where you could get the most clout, and you posted it. So I don't like either of these situations here. If the girl really cared about the fact that Jake Fromm was saying this, she would have posted it when it first happened, not a year later, when the whole Black Lives Matter movement is at its peak. She did that for clout. I think everybody can agree on that. And in the comments of her tweet, a lot of people weren't really like, okay, you're, if you really cared, you would have done this last year when they first text me. She screenshotted and everything. She's like, oh, I'm waiting for this. It's like, oh, I should post this now. So there's the wrong on her part. I am not at all excusing Jake Fromm. So don't get this twisted about how I'm like, Oh, you're trying to ruin somebody. No. <laughs> this is something stupid. I think both are not great for either one of them. I mean, the girl got clout, so congratulations to her. But Fromm's text messages are do not paint him in a great light. And one of my good friends from William Penn, Donovan Tucker, was tweeting about this last night. And someone said, is that your quarterback? Or dude, that's your quarterback or something like that. And Donovan responded with the best response ever. Nah, my quarterbacks are Jamie Newman and Alex Crehan. America's quarterback, Alex Crehan. Beautiful response there by Donovan. I loved that. <laughs> I started laughing when I saw that. I was like, yes, Alex Crehan, quarterback of America. But Jake Fromm, that is not, do not, the phrase elite white men is not something that should ever be spouted. And again, like I said earlier, I almost said just 2020. No, at all times, not no matter what year it is, that phrase should never be out. This raises the question of will he get cut? Because he was battling for this backup job. He wasn't battling for a starting job. Josh Allen has entrenched himself as the starter in Buffalo. The Bills drafted Jake Fromm because of their board and he was by far the best player on their board so they were like let's take him 
will have him battle with Matt Barkley. He's a very similar quarterback to that of Matt Barkley. But it's... I, I don't know. Will he get cut? Will he make the team? Because you could argue that he won't make the team now. Because this is going to be something big that he has to get over. And a lot of players are very upset with this. You had a lot of players like Richard Sherman, Jamal Adams, uh, Trey White, teammates of Jake Fromm, coming out and talking about the subject. About, this is really disappointing. From and from Brees. Mostly, a lot of people are disappointed in Drew Brees for what he said. Malcolm Jenkins was in tears talking about Drew Brees' situation. Jake Fromm's is not great, especially when your own teammates are liking tweets about this, about how you're not apologizing because you're wrong, you're apologizing because you got caught. You still said it. Which is how I tend to look at apologies from time to time. Like, uh, if... So let's let's play hypotheticals here. And I know I we talk about all the time how much I hate hypotheticals, but let's just play it. If I hear somebody talking behind my back, if I'm like in another room and I'm starting to walk in, but then I hear my name, so I stop a little bit and I listen in on what they're saying, it's something bad, and I catch you, you're only going to say sorry if I caught you. If I didn't catch you, just keep spewing it over and over again. And then we'd see no change. It'd just keep on happening if I didn't call you out for it. So that's the situation these two are in right now. Are you sorry because you're actually sorry? Or are you sorry because you got caught saying something that is very controversial at this point in time? And that's where a lot of people are going with this. Well, I don't know how sorry you actually are. And for from. This could cost him a spot on the Buffalo Bills roster. For Brees, we've already known he's going to retire at the end of the year. A lot of people now are calling for him to retire now. Which I don't think he won't, but a lot of people are calling for it. So I don't know. It's a interesting time for these two players. Two at completely opposite ends of their careers. Fromm's is just starting, Brees is ending. But will Fromm's position on the... Fromm's is the one that's going to be the most under scrutiny because he's just starting in the league. Breeze is done after this year. He's announced that. He signed a contract with NBC. He's not coming back. Fromm is a rookie that hasn't even been to rookie minicamp yet. And he's not going to start. So that's where it gets put in as... Could he even just lose his job? I saw someone tweet yesterday, the Bills should cut from and sign Cam Newton. I'm, I can reason on the side of cutting Jake Fromm. I don't think the Bills should sign Cam Newton. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Bills quarterback room, if they keep from or not, with Josh Allen and Matt Barkley is perfect for what the Buffalo Bills are doing. Now, if Josh Allen gets hurt, do I get scared about Matt Barkley coming in? Sometimes. Matt Barkley played a beautiful game against the New York Jets on my birthday two years ago when Josh Allen was coming back from his elbow injury and the Bills had that whole <laughs> Nathan Peterman, Derek Anderson quarterback thing. But then you have a game against the Patriots where he drives the Bills down the field and throws an interception basically in the end zone. When the Bills could have won that game, if Josh Allen, who played the worst game of his Buffalo Bills career in that game, throwing three interceptions, got concussed, 
and got knocked out of the game. I think if he was in, the Bills would have won that game, even with how bad he was playing. So there's the part that scares me a little bit. So maybe Fromm could be an upgrade on Barkley. But since the fact that he hasn't proven himself in the league, that he doesn't have really any friends in the locker room because he hasn't been in the locker room yet, and now he's even got more people that dislike him now than what they did before, I don't know if he'll make the roster. It's it's going to be tough. It's going to be very, very tough for him to make the roster. Tougher than it already is for a late-round draft pick. And I know a lot of people out there think draft picks just make the roster. That's not always the case. There's a many of times late-round draft picks, 5th, 6th, 7th-round draft picks don't make the roster. There's a lot of times that happens. So the, the fact that you were drafted doesn't make you a guaranteed lock to make the roster. It makes your path to the roster a lot easier than a person who went undrafted. But that doesn't mean it's locked. Because there's a lot of good undrafted players as well. So what will be the fate for Jake Fromm, Andrew Breeze? Breeze, nothing, I'm guessing, because he's retiring at the end of the year. A lot of people are disappointed because they've known him. They've seen his work. And then they come out with a comment like he had in a time like this. A lot of people are disappointed. And rightfully so. For their like, This is not a time to be saying that kind of stuff. I think he knew that. But people want more comments like the one that Aaron Rodgers had rather than the one that Drew Brees had. If that makes sense. Just wrapping it up all together. People want more of what Aaron Rodgers said rather than Drew Brees said. And it's... I don't know. Uh, Hopefully, for the Saints' sake and Drew Brees' sake, the players forgive him and rally around him, and then they, they go on to do great things this season. If not... It's going to be hard to win, and they might go 500 because a divided locker room does not equal success on the football field. Sometimes that can completely destroy. Look what the Pittsburgh Steelers have done. The Steelers have had one of the most talented rosters in the NFL for the better part of the last, what, six, seven years? Big Ben, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, and consistently going 8-8, eight and 9-7. Eight, and seven. That's what distractions in the locker room can do to a talented team. Again, completely different distractions in the locker room to what the Saints have right now, but distractions nonetheless. If the Saints can't get over this, they might be one of those teams that disappoints this year. And it's it's just not a fun time for Drew Brees. Let's just put it like that. And then Jake Fromm and the girl. The girl can get thrown into this as well. You held on to those tweets or text messages for a year, waited the most opportune time to post that, and then did so you could get clout for it. If you really didn't like the text, you would have posted them when he sent it, not a year after. And she cropped it so you could kind of, well, not cropped, but um, to where you can, you don't know what his response is going to be the next text message because in her tweet she posts um oh wow okay let me i'm trying to i'm trying to uh, i'm trying to read 
the text messages and see uh Okay, well, here's something. <laughs> um this is from that Ashley MP20 Twitter. Um so it's this girl that texted her and said, uh, hey, Jake just called me like three times about what you put on Twitter. Are you awake? Ashley, please delete it. I can't. It's not right. You just said you were. Uh, I mean, I don't want to see him go down or anything, but I know part of helping the cause on my end is to call out things like that. And if anything, I don't think he'd get fired. I think he just might have to make statement, which should, which would be good. No, he's about to get fired. The thing, Bill's thinking are thinking about dropping him, and she's like, "How is that my fault?" The the text message you sent was, "I mean, I don't want to see him go down or anything." No, you do. That's why you posted the tweet, the text messages. You definitely do. <laughs> you, I, it's a very bad text message, but you posted it at the most opportune time, and the Bills are definitely contemplating on cutting him. And a lot of people, I can completely understand why they would cut him. How is this my fault? What do you mean, how is this your fault? <laughs> you waited for the most opportune time to post this and post it. And Jake Fromm, it's not a great look for him at all. So again, like I said earlier, I am not dismissing Jake Fromm's text messages. I just placed to get, oh, this girl's trying to take him down. Which I do believe she is. She posted it so she could get the most clout at the most time, which she did yesterday. But Jake from uh, you can't be throwing around words like elite white men. That's not a good phrase at all. And I would not be shocked if he does not make the roster. He is more than likely, I would say there's about a 60% chance he gets cut. Maybe like a 51%, but it's like, it's still a chance that he gets cut. There's a better percent chance that he gets cut than staying on the team. He released a statement yesterday. He met with the Bills coaches. The coaches believed his apology, but a lot of the people in the general media and general public won't believe it. Because again, it's that situation of, are you actually sorry or are you sorry you got caught? That is where we lie. And a lot of people will be taking these apologies differently than other people that's just how it works that just that's just how it works but the girl to go how is this my fault or i when i see wrong i should post you saved these for a year <laughs> you waited to post this you could have posted it when it first happened and then we would have been talking this wouldn't have been a talking point now but the fact you waited a year and then posted it at the most opportune time for you shows your priorities. Yes, I agree that this is a, you should have posted this because it's a very, it's, I'm not saying she's wrong for posting it. I'm saying she's wrong for holding on to this for a year and then posting it during this time of um, crisis in America. I don't want to see him get fired. No, you definitely do. You definitely do. I feel it's my responsibility to post it. Well, post it last year when it first came out. If you really cared and didn't, oh, I don't want to see him get fired. No, you do. 
And there's players on Georgia that are defending Jake Fromm, as most teammates would at this time. A lot of some other teammates are also coming after him, and rightfully so. I don't know. That's just a bad look for an NFL legend and then a young quarterback. Fromm will probably have bigger ramifications than that of Drew Brees because of how young he is. And his career is pretty much, it may very well be over before it even started. So, we'll see. We'll keep you posted on these two situations because they're both very hot top, hot button issues. And they will be talked about up until the NFL season. And if if Fromm stays on the team, which is, there's less of a chance that he does that than getting cut. I don't know. It's not going to be happy times. I don't know if the Bills locker room will be too happy to open. But again, locker rooms are a very open and very forgiving place. Very forgiving environment. So we'll have to see how the teammates of these players, because they haven't been around teammates that are. Uh, Fromm was with Josh Allen and Matt Barkley out in California with the rookies and all that stuff, training with Stephon Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley, all those guys. Jake Fromm was out there. So he has been around teammates. But it's going to be hard to rebound from this. Very, very hard for Fromm and for Breeze, even though he's a legend. I don't know, not a great look for these two guys. And they lost a lot of fans because of it. And one of them might lose their job. And before we end this little topic, I would like to point, I would like to say this as well. I saw The Rock talking about this on Twitter and it's a very important time to say this because I don't think a lot of people understand what's actually going on. And I said this on Wednesday, a little, a little bit on Wednesday. I didn't really go into in depth about it. I talked about what my friend Nedrick said at William Penn. But Black Lives Matter is not saying black li- only black lives matter. It's saying black lives also matter. Because in the we're Americans. We are very inclusive. We want we're we are founded on trying to make things equal for everybody. So when we say all lives matter, of course all lives matter. I think we all understand that. No life is greater than another life. That's just that's how it is. But at this point in time, we need to recognize the situations going on in America right now with the police brutality and the, the killings of these unarmed black men and realize, yes, we had to say black lives matter. It's not saying only black lives matter. Everybody knows all lives matter and everybody knows Every life is equal. There's no life that is greater than another. And I know I'm repeating myself, but I feel like it's important to repeat myself here. At this point in time, we need to recognize black lives matter. So that's why this movement is going on. A lot of people don't understand that. And it's not a great look for if you're going all lives matter. You got to understand the they're not saying that it's this. It's something else. It's like Colin Kaepernick saying, it's not, the kneeling's not protesting the, the military, it's not disrespecting the military, it's raising awareness for things that are going on in this country currently that's supposed to be about freedom and justice for all. 
just like the Black Lives Matter movement. It's not about saying that only Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter than every more than everybody else is. They are, everybody is aware every life matters. All lives matter. Everybody knows that. But at this point in time, we need to recognize that Black Lives Matter and hope for change in this country. Because you know what's bad? There's something wrong in this country where countries outside of the United States are protesting for justice in the United States. So something's wrong. I think everybody is aware of that. And we all hope and we all pray that these situations end sooner rather than later. Hopefully justice will be served. All four cops that were involved in the George Floyd murder have been arrested, which is great news. And my dad and I were talking about this yesterday. We were we were heading into BioLife where I was going to go work. We were doing we we're picking up garbage, trimming trees, and stuff like that. My dad and I were talking, and my dad goes, "They found the they were saying the autopsy that he had a heart condition, that he had all these underlying health issues, that he had COVID nineteen, that he might have been on meth or whatever, but that's not what killed him. The neck, the knee on George Floyd's neck is what killed him." He may have had all these underlying health conditions, but that's not what killed him. That's why when the first medical examination came out, the first autopsy came out, everyone was like, what? That's not what killed George Floyd. George Floyd died of strangulation. He may have had some health problems. He may have had COVID-19. But that's not how he died. He died because he was strangled to death by the police officer. And... That's what, that's why my dad and I were both my, when I told my dad that, cause I don't know if he saw it or not. He just said, finally, they got arrested. Finally. Cause they deserve to go to jail for a very long time. And I don't know what's going to happen to Siobhan or Shavin. I don't know how to say his name, but I don't know what's going to happen to him. I read he was going to maximum security prison that he's got his murder charges moved up to second degree murder. And I don't know what's going to happen to the other four, the other three cops. But all I can say is. Finally, they were arrested. And hopefully, that's a step in the right direction for justice for all the other situations, the other incidences that have gone on across America that have been enlaced in Americans, America's history. So hopefully, this sparks change across the country. And I said this on Wednesday. If you haven't, I would very much recommend go assign a petition, go and donate money to the George Floyd Fund, or all the other instances that go get get pretty much shoved underneath the carpet go donate to those causes and educate yourself on the matters at hand that's what i hope we are doing right now as individuals i don't know how many people are actually listening to this show i don't there might not be anybody listening to this show but if you make it this far that's just one with a message i want to get across just educate yourself donate and sign a petition because that will inspire change in this country. And with that being said, let's take a quick break here on the Logan Blackman show. We'll come back and go over Friday fun day over the Premier League and rank the top Premier League strikers on this tier list. So stay tuned for more Logan Blackman show right after this. All right, everybody, welcome back to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman show here on the basement podcast. That was the longest break I think I've ever taken in between little breaks of a show. I think I took a break from about noon, and it is about 2. 
or it's past two. It's two oh seven. I've taken a long, long break. So after I got done with the first section of the show, I went upstairs and took to if you don't like gross things, close your shut like cover your ears or something. I took a massive dump upstairs. And my nana was over, so then after I got done with that, I talked to my nana. My dad got home, and my mom was there, obviously. We got a new fridge, so we sat there and talked about the fridge, looked at the majesty of the fridge, and then my mom and I got cool basil for lunch, and it is always, it always hits the spot. Cool basil does not miss. Cool basil is always fuego. It's the best, and I saw a thing on Barstool Sports this morning, it was their Twitter account, said the, the best restaurants or Iowans' favorite restaurants or whatever. It was In-N-Out. First off, there's many things wrong with saying In-N-Out's the first one. I'll state the first and obvious one. Um, here, how do I put this? There's no In-N-Out in Iowa. <laughs> I don't know how I can put that any more clear than that. And the other thing is, this isn't even in Iowa. I think it was Missouri, Minnesota, and maybe Illinois said Chuck E. Cheese were their favorite fast food restaurant. Now, I would expect that from Nebraska. I wouldn't expect that from other... I don't know who actually claims Chuck E. Cheese as their favorite restaurant. Anyways, Chuck E. Cheese is gross. (laughs) I went to Chuck E. Cheese my senior year of high school with our small group from church. That was like our big, like, let's get together and do something night. And they were like, oh, let's jokingly go to Chuck E. Cheese. And we actually did it. <laughs> we didn't think it would actually happen, but it did. And so we went, played games and stuff. In every single game, you feel like it's just gross. Your hands are sticking to everything. Don't touch your face because you're about to get something gross to your face. Cold sores, pink eye, anything. You're just going to get messed up if you go to Chuck E. Cheese. It's disgusting. For kids, sure, awesome. For 18 year olds it's not great it makes you feel because you're not really thinking about that kind of stuff when you're uh, an elementary school kid at least most most of us aren't weren't <laughs> and but when you're older it's just like man i do not want to be here anymore but it was, a, it, it was a fun night it was a fun night but i don't know if i'd ever claim that as my favorite restaurant or fast food place and the uh, other than the fact that in and out's iowa's favorite which again there's no in and out in the state of iowa it wasn't Bebop's. We did a tier list a few weeks ago about fast food restaurants in Iowa. Bebop's is the best burger in the country. I do not care where you're from. You will be changed by going to Bebop's. Now, I don't know where they get their prices from because their prices are a little little high. But the fact that Bebop's wasn't the number one restaurant in the state of Iowa is ridiculous. Or fast food place in Iowa. I get it's only in Des Moines or around Des Moines, but if you come to Iowa, I have one of my best friends wrote from Rhode Island every single Friday before our football games, me and him would go through the Bebop's drive-thru. He got addicted to Bebop's and we had to go there before every single game. This kid's a thousand yard rusher for our high school team and he's eating Bebop's before every game. Like Bebop's changes your life. I have been blessed enough to live right down the street from a Bebop's. If you don't know what your dinner plans are, you just drive up Meredith to Bebop's. There's always a huge line, which the, the thing about Bebop's is, other than the prices, the people going through the drive-thru are stupid. Why don't you go through the passenger side? You don't have to wait 
on the driver's side drive through you can you are able to reach across your empty seat and pay there's so many times i've done that how much faster i get through the drive through it's ridiculous but in and out as iowa's favorite fast food restaurant let alone the fact that it's not bebop's but it's also just not in the state of iowa it's just not i would have accepted like uh chick-fil-a would have been an acceptable answer there uh culver's mcdonald's all the typical fast food places taco bell poncheros is a massive part of iowa's history but that's i think that's only in is that only in iowa i don't know how how national poncheros is i this is just i just don't know i see ponchero i don't really see poncheros when i'm out traveling the country when i've gone to south dakota chicago uh dallas uh, Kansas City, Minneapolis, Omaha. I've never seen a Poncheros outside of the state of Iowa. But that maybe I'm just not looking at the right places. But that's easily up there with favorite Iowa restaurants: uh, Subway, Jersey Mike's, Jimmy John's. Those. There's so many other places that you could choose. You know why? Because they're actually in the state of Iowa. I had to hold my microphone away from my mouth because I was. I had to yell that, but that's still really loud because I actually yelled that thing. There's no in and outs here. So why is that the number one restaurant in the state of Iowa? I don't get it. I don't know. It frustrates me as a native Iowan, born and raised in the state of Iowa, born and raised. I was born in Des Moines. We moved to Urbandale when I was just about to enter first grade. I'm an Iowan, proud Iowan, central Iowan. The fact that in and out is there makes me angry and disrespected as an iowan but that's not we're not here to talk about that and of course is friday fun day and i know we've done this for a while now we've done this with i think we haven't missed a friday since we started doing this and it would have been a perfect time to do a um fast food in the state of iowa tier list but we've already done that we've been there done that we've done helmets we've done uniforms We've done quarterbacks that have been drafted number one overall, or number one overall draft picks. We've done everything, everything I can think of, but thankfully something always comes up either on a Thursday or a Friday when I just can't think of what I want to talk about, and it's there. And I got reminded that the Premier League is back in two weeks. Two weeks from the day, June 19th, is when the Premier League returns. It's an illustrious return. Two Fridays from now. It's beautiful. I love the Premier League. The Premier League is what I watched when I was younger. Manchester United was the only team on TV. So I had to watch. You had to watch Manchester United. It was Ronaldo, Carlos Tevez, Wayne Rooney, Edwin Vandersar. Like, that was the team I grew up watching. David Beckham on the LA Galaxy was another reason I really... I loved David Beckham. When I was younger, I had a David Beckham LA Galaxy jersey. But it wasn't LA Galaxy. It was just said... David Beckham all over the freaking jersey. Like, the logo, the sponsor was all Beckham at <laughs> 23. David Beckham, when I found out he was on Manchester United, that even made it better. I was never a fan of any other team in the Premier I couldn't like any other team. I was a Manchester United fan. They were the only team ever on TV when I was younger. Because they were winning everything. They just dominated. And FIFA, I had FIFA 03, I think was the one with... Alessandro Del Piero, Thierry Henry, and uh, Ronaldinho on the cover. I believe that was the cover. 
and they had Nikki Butt. My friends and I thought that was the most hilarious thing ever. Tim Howard was the starting goalie for Manchester United, so there's a U.S. connection there. Like, Wayne Rooney meant so much to me growing up. Same with Ronaldo. Ronaldo meant so much to me growing up. And that was when I started playing soccer and they were on TV. Good Lord, it was a kid at a candy store watching those guys play. And for Manchester United, when the Premier League starts back up on June 19th, they will be playing Tottenham at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium down in London. Manchester United looking fully healthy for the first time, it feels like, all season. Pogba, Bruno Fernandes will all be in the team the first time those two will play together. Marcus Rashford, who's been injured before this whole thing started, he is back as well. So, full strength Manchester United, it seems like, going into this game against Tottenham. Also on Friday, Norwich, Norwich versus Southampton. Norwich sits bottom of the Premier League at 21 points. They're destined for the drop. They're, there's no saving them. They've There's no saving them. They have a minus 27 goal differential. They've won five games. They've lost 18, all of which are worst in the league. They're not going up. <laughs> They're not staying up. And then for Southampton, they currently sit 14th in the league. They just extended Ralph Hausen, Ralph Hausen, Hassenhudel. He'll be there again, Danny Ings. They just extended Shane Long as well. So that'll be an interesting Norwich need to win that game, even though the drop is imminent. Then we got Watford versus Leicester. Leicester City currently sit third in the Premier League, have scored 58 goals this season, have a plus 30 goal differential, and have scored had 58 points on 53 points on the season. They've scored 58 goals. They've been awesome this year. Now Hopefully, for their fans' sake, they keep some of their best players. Which I know Jamie Vardy will say that guy looks like a Leicester player for the rest of his career. But it looks like Ben Chilwell is going to Chelsea. At least that's what the recent reports are. They've been talking to him. James Madison, can they keep him? Wilfred Ndidi, can they keep him? Uh, Yuri Tielemans, can they keep him? There's so many good players on Leicester City. Can they keep them all? Because the big clubs will be calling, even though they are better this season than a vast majority of the big clubs in England, like Chelsea, Man United, Tottenham, Arsenal. They're better than them this year. But will that allure of playing in those, for those big clubs and those big stadiums lure players away? Probably. Money talks is, that, is what they say. And for Watford, they currently sit 17th in the league on 27 points, tied on points with Bournemouth, but they have a one-goal differential better than Bournemouth for that game. That'll be a interesting game, Watford versus Leicester. Brighton will be playing Arsenal. Arsenal sit ninth in the league. Brighton sits 15th. Brighton hasn't won a game in a fat minute, and Arsenal has won their last three games. They've drawn 13 games of the joint most in the league, which is not great <laughs> for Arsenal. West Ham versus Wolverhampton Wanderers. Wolverhampton Wolves sit 6th in the league on 43 points, and West Ham United sit 16th in the league with 27 tied with Watford and Bournemouth. But they have a better goal differential than those two, even though they have allowed more goals than both of those two teams. Their goal differential sees them just above those two at 16th. Bournemouth will be taking on Crystal Palace. As we said, Bournemouth sits 18th in the league. Crystal Palace sits 11th. They've won their last three games, and every summer, it seems like Wilfred Zaha is gone. So I always predict them to go down, because he's like their only creative player on that team. 
but they stay up because he never leaves. I don't know where he's going to go, but that's what all my predictions are based off of. If he stays, then they're in around the 11th, 10th spot. If he goes, they're in the relegation zone. It is how it works for Crystal Palace. And then on Sunday, June 21st, we have Newcastle United versus Sheffield. Or United Sheffield sits 7th in the league right now, easily the surprise of the league so far. A lot of people, the vast majority, including myself, had them going down without really a fight coming in last. For Newcastle, with the talks of the takeover, right now, their fans are really hoping that takeover comes. They're tired of sitting 13th in the league. And a lot of people thought they would just go straight down. Got a new manager, Rafa Benitez, was finally put up with Mike Ashley's zero spending mentality. Mark Hughes comes in. They sit 13th in the league, which is a lot better than what a lot of people thought at the start of the season. Aston Villa will be taking on Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea's just looking like they're going to sign Timo Werner. So that's going to be a big coup for them. Got Tammy Abraham, partner him with Timo Werner. Timo Werner obviously going to be the main man up top for Chelsea. But get a little striker depth in there for Chelsea. As far as Aston Villa is concerned, they're, they're looking like they're going down as well. They've lost four games in a row. They've won seven games, lost 17, which is second most in the league, and have allowed 56 goals, which is easily the most in the league as well. So they just look like they're going down. Even though they're only two points off the 18th, 17th, and 16th ranked teams, and four points off of 15th, they just look like they're going down. Jack Grealish, where will he go? Will it be Manchester United? Will it be a club like Everton? Will Manchester City try to get him or Tottenham? We'll have to wait and see on where Jack Grealish will go. And then the last game, Everton versus Liverpool. Liverpool, the Merseyside Derby. Right now, Everton sits 12th. It's a little bit lower than what people expected of them this season. Expectations were a little higher for Everton going in this year. And Liverpool are miles clear in first place of the Premier League. They've won 27 of the 29 games this year. They've lost one, which was two games ago against Watford. And they've drawn one they have a plus 45 goal differential which is the best in the league they've allowed only 21 goals which is by far the best in the league and 82 points with the next closest being manchester city with 57 points yeah they're there's miles above everybody and it's it sucks it's no coincidence that the world goes to garbage when the liverpool are going to win the league and the chiefs win the super bowl that's just how it looks right now but those are your games for the Premier League season, Manchester United, I'm hoping, kick it into gear and get up into guaranteed top sport and not have to hedge our bets on Manchester City being kicked out of the Champions League. That's just not what we're really going for here. But let's get to this tier list. So it's got a lot of really good strikers on this list, and it goes from GOAT, A, B, C, and D tier. Let's just start this off easy one. Alan Shearer, the all-time record goal scorer in the Premier League, 260 goals in 441 games played. He goes straight to the GOAT category, and same with my favorite player of all time next to Clint Dempsey, Wayne Rooney, sits second all-time in goal scores with 208 goals to his name in 494 appearances. Manchester United's all-time record goal scorer, England's all-time record goal scorer, easily goes in the GOAT tier. Also accompanying them in the GOAT tier is Thierry Henry, arguably the best foreign player to ever step foot in the Premier League. It's obviously talked about him or Ronaldo or Sergio Aguero getting talked about in that regard as the best foreigner in the Premier League history. But 175 goals in 258 games 
a goal ratio of 0.68, which I believe is the best out of the top players, a one behind Sergio Aguero. 0.01 behind Sergio Aguero, who Aguero looks like he may take over. If he keeps going like this, he's played 261 games, which is a lot less games than Alan Shearer played and a lot less game than Wayne Rooney had played and has a much better goal ratio, goal to game ratio than the pair up top. But uh, Thierry Henry has to go in the GOAT. And I think Sergio Aguero, even though he's not done playing in the Premier League, has to go in the GOAT tier as well. If you look at the goal ratio, it's the best goal to game ratio in the Premier League history out of all the out of all the players who have scored 100-plus goals in the Premier League. He currently sits fourth. He's going to keep moving up the list. He's only seven goals behind Andy Cole to move up the third. He will be either – will he pass Wayne Rooney? Will he have to see – Will Harry Kane eventually pass Alan Shearer? We'll have to wait and see on that because Harry Kane right now sits 13th, has a .68, which again is .01 behind Sergio Aguero. But I think Harry Kane for right now goes in the A tier just because I think he, he if he goes to a big club, I think Manchester United could be a perfect team for him to go to. Go up there with Harry Maguire. It'd be weird for Harry Maguire and Harry Kane to be on the same team. Harry, Harry Kane, obviously England's captain. Harry Maguire, Manchester United captain. Who would be the captain of the team at Manchester United? Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting, but Harry Kane would be... He's a dream signing for Manchester United. But I think A tier for the time being. I think Andy Cole can go up in the A tier as well. He currently sits fourth in the Premier... Or third in the Premier League in goals scored with 187 goals. And he's an absolute legend at Manchester United. Was part of the famous treble winning side. Had a great partnership with Dwight York, who sits a little bit further down on the list in 17th with 123 goals to his name in the Premier League. But Andy Cole, still a legend. I, I don't think I can put him up with Alan Shearer, Wayne Rooney, Thierry Henry, and Sergio Aguero. I don't think that can happen. But those two, Harry Kane and Andy Cole, can definitely go up there. Following them is Dennis Burkamp. Dennis Burkamp wasn't really a goal scorer. He's more of those distributing um center forwards that you see like um uh what do you want to call it a roberto firmino type player i guess you're up there with a partnership with thierry Henry. you're gonna be the guy that's gonna assist a lot of his goals when you look at his career goal tallies at arsenal his career high in the league was 16 goals and past 1999 he just have a single season over 10 goals in the league in the league i'm not saying in his season because he had 14 goals in the 0102 season but he was doing so much more for Arsenal than just being a goal scorer. He was an insane goal scorer while playing for Ajax, went to Inter Milan, had some success there, mostly in his first season, and then Arsenal just took off. He is one of the most, out of legends concerned, he might be one of the most underrated legends because people just look at his stats and go like, oh, well, since 1999, he scored a career-high 14 goals. Well, that's not very impressive. He scored five goals. In 2001, wow, he only scored uh, five goals total in the Invincible season. Oh, my God. How did that happen? Because he was doing everything else for Arsenal while Thierry Henry was being that goal-scoring machine. Great, One of the greatest partnerships in Premier League history. Looking at who else we got on the list, I think you throw Didier Drogba up there in the A tier as well. Now, as far as like total goals scored... He's only scored 104. He wasn't that prolific goal scorer that a lot of people tend to 
put on top of him. He wasn't that insane goal scorer in the league. He had one season. He had two seasons where he had 20-plus goals. Other than that, his season high for Chelsea in the league was 12. He scored 29 in 2009-10, scored 20 in 2006-07, but he is the arguably the greatest big game player the Premier League has ever seen. He stepped up when the moment was the brightest, when the lights were shining the brightest. Didier Drogba was always there. He shined when they... He was just... He's one of the greatest. No one can doubt that. He is one of the greatest of all time. And I love Didier Drogba because I was a really, really big... I still kind of am a really big Ivory Coast soccer fan. I loved the Ivory, Ivory Coast national team. Didier Drogba, Gervinho, Yaya Toure, even though he played for Manchester City, Colo Toure, Solomon Kalou, the Abubakar Barry. Like, that team was just fun to watch. Didier Sakura, that was a fun team to watch. I really enjoyed those teams. You got Wilfred Bonnie. I'm just going to keep naming off players, but great player. Great, big, big game player. I'm trying to find my next player on this list. Who do I want to talk about next? Uh, let's go with the likes of Eric Cantona, uh, arguably the first superstar in the Premier League. Premier League came up in 1992. That's when he joined Manchester United. The league's first real superstar is what I would call uh, Eric Cantona, one of the greatest players the Premier League has ever seen. And, yeah, he's just an absolute legend. But as far as goal scoring in the Premier League, he's not up there with the likes of Rooney, with Alan Shearer, with Aguero, and all those guys. But he was a great player for Manchester United. Amazing player. The first ever superstar in the Premier League. Came to Manchester United in 92-93 and is just, he's just a legend. 64 goals, 143 Premier League games. He's a legend. There's no other way to put that. He is just an absolute legend. And speaking of legends... One of my favorite players on those Manchester United teams, the early Manchester United teams, and those early FIFA games, my first FIFA game I ever had, my favorite player on that game was Rude Van Nistelrooy. And though he only played for Manchester United for five seasons, he scored 95 goals in 150 games. That is an insane goal tally. 95 goals in 150 games. He scored 150 goals in all competition at this time in Manchester United, in 0203, he scored 44 goals in 52 games. In 0102, he scored 36 goals in 49 games. He is an absolute legend. He was one of my favorite players at Manchester United. And Wayne Rooney was wearing number eight at that time because Rude was dominating in the number 10 shirt for Manchester United. I love Rude Van Nistelrooy. And another Dutchman that we could talk about is Robin Van Persie. Robin Van Persie had the hefty and lofty task of replacing Thierry Henry, one of the greatest strikers the Premier League has ever seen, and was the sole reason Manchester United won the Premier League in 2012-13. He scored 30 goals in all competitions, 26 in the Premier League, coming off a season where he scored 30 for Arsenal. So remember, when he first got to Arsenal, he was playing on the wing. He was not the goal-scoring machine that you saw in his later years at Arsenal, in his first year at Manchester United. That's what he did. He was a winger, and then when Thierry Henry left, it was 
Robin Van Persie's team. He got the number 10 shirt from Dennis Burke or uh, from William Gallus, I guess. But following in the footsteps of Dennis Burkham, very similar player to the likes of Dennis Burkham. But when it was his team, he lit up goals in the Premier League. 37 goals in his last season at Arsenal. He had three, uh, yeah, three seasons at Arsenal where he scored 20 plus goals in all competitions. He did have a little bit of injury problems at some points throughout his career, both at Arsenal and at Manchester United, playing uh, 15 games in 07-08 and 16 times in 09 and 10. But he scored seven goals. He scored 16 goals, I guess, in those two seasons combined. In the two seasons where he played every single game, he scored a grand total of 56 goals. That is an insane goal tally. He goes up in that A tier. If he didn't get injured as much as he did, then I think we could definitely put him higher on this list. Looking at who else we got on this list, we got a fair bit amount of strikers here. Dwight York, he can go up in that B tier. A little bit lower on the Premier League's all-time goal scoring list in 17th, but he's still a legend, especially at Manchester United and Aston Villa. Those two places, he was absolutely brilliant for those teams. Two teams, one of the greatest strikers in Manchester United's history, was part of that trouble-winning side, the greatest partnership with Andy Cole. Great partnership between those two legends. I think we could throw Ian Wright into that B tier as well as Arsenal's all-time leading scorer until Thierry Henry came. 113 goals in 213 games, scored 104 goals for Arsenal in the Premier League. Absolute legend for Arsenal. 128 goals. He scored 185 goals in all competitions for Arsenal. Had three seasons, or four seasons, where he scored... 30 goals. He's an absolute legend. He's an absolute legend. We might... Uh, no, I'll keep him B tier. Part of me wants to raise him up to A tier, but we'll switch him in Dwight York because he's very close to going up to A tier. Who else do we got on this list? Luis Suarez. Oh, no. Luis Suarez has to go up in A tier. Luis Suarez has to go up in A tier. I will not hear anything different about that. Luis Suarez. I hate Luis Suarez. I have never liked Luis Suarez. He was the closest thing that Liverpool had a title competition until this season where they've been smashing it. I hated Luis Suarez, but he is one of the greatest players the Premier League has ever seen. Him and Daniel Sturridge, when they were together, made defenses shiver when Daniel Sturridge was ever healthy. He played four seasons at Liverpool, scored 69 goals. <laughs> and speaking of that, this is the 69th episode of Logan Blackman Show. For this season, this isn't like all time, but... Just for like the 2019-2020 season or whatever. He scored 61 goals in back combined back-to-back seasons. Started off a little slow. Came halfway 2010-2011 season. Scored four goals. Then got 11. Then 23. Then 31. And then he became one of the most deadliest strikers in all of Europe. And ju- not just Europe. The world. Scored 59 goals in 53 games total in 2015-16 while playing for Barcelona. He is a legend. So he has to go up. In the A tier. I didn't even realize. I kind of just glanced over him on the list. Uh, Jamie Vardy. I think we can throw up in B tier as well. The Leicester City story is one of the greatest stories ever in sports. Not just soccer or football. Whatever you want to call it. Jamie Vardy has been loyal to Leicester City ever since they got him from Fleetwood Town. He's never left. There was rumors of him going to Arsenal. And he hasn't slowed down since they won the Premier League. He scored multiple 20-goal seasons. He's going to get 20 goals again this season. 19 goals this season, 26 games. 
24 goals in the championship the championship winning side 20 goals 2017-18 he has to go up there he for the story that Leicester City have he has to go up there he scored 18 goals last year he's just a consistent 20 goal striker ever since he found his rhythm in the 2015-16 season because his first season in the Premier League he struggled a little bit Leicester struggled as well they just got brought from the championship they had the great escape arguably the greatest escape of all time, rode that momentum, and in the next season, winning the league at 5,001 odds, Jamie Vardy has to go up in the B tier. He just, he absolutely has to. He absolutely has to. Another one I got on here, Michael Owen. Uh, He was one of those early, uh, he peaked really, really early. Let's just say it like that. He peaked super early. Won the Ballon d'Or when he was in his 20, like early 20s, went to Real Madrid, and then after that, uh, it just wasn't the same. He scored 118 goals in 216 games in his time at Liverpool, but then everything after that, there's like the first half of Michael Owen's career and the second half. So after that brief, the brief stint at Real Madrid is like the center point of his career. So he scored 118 goals in his time at Liverpool. And in his time at Newcastle, he scored a grand total of 26 goals. Great tally. Great, great tally. In 71 games. And in his time at Manchester United, he scored five goals in 31 games. And at Stoke, he scored one goal in eight games. So, let's tally it up. Five plus 26, 31 plus 32 goals in three different clubs across one two three four five six seven eight seasons how many seasons did he play and have consistent playing time while at liverpool one two three four five six seven so the right down the middle the real madrid season splits his premier league life so which one do you want to go with do you want to go with the one that won the ballon d'or and was scoring goals at will in the premier league or do you want to go with the one that was at newcastle in manchester united that could barely play. He's ninth all-time in Premier League goal-scoring history with 150 goals. <sighs> See, this is hard because he won a Ballon d'Or. Do we put him up in A-tier for his Liverpool days? Because his Liverpool days deserve him to be in the A-tier, but the rest of it, he deserves to be very low. So that's why I'm struggling with this. But he'll go in B-tier for right now. I might change that later. Uh, Carlos Tevez. Part of Manchester United's uh, Champions League winning side and Premier League winning side in 0708. Uh, was a broke the the a cardinal sin of transferring from Manchester United to Manchester City, and then he a lot of different um, off the field issues. He's not again like Dennis Burkham. He wasn't that striker that was I'm going to score all these goals for you all the time. He was a very unselfish striker, and in his time. At Manchester United, he scored 19 goals in his career high at Manchester United. Then Man City got 23 goals in his first season for Manchester City. Then 20, and then he kind of tallied off after that. Because, that, again, that was where all the, the the drama with Carlos Tevez came. But I think he has to, he can go in the B tier. He's a great striker for Manchester City and Manchester United. Um, who else do we got on this list? We've got a, a few more strikers on this list. Do I want to keep doing this? Because I want to get to my other things. I don't know if I'm running out of time. I'm, the show has been very, like, 
interesting today. I don't know. You know we're going to keep doing it. It's Friday Fun Day. We're going to keep on doing this. Um, Diego Costa, next one on this list. Um, got Chelsea a Premier League title. I think two Premier League titles. Am I right? I think I'm right. Two Premier League titles for Diego Costa. And now he's kind of tailing off. And he's only 31 years old, but he's starting to tail off a little bit. He scored 21, 16, and 21 goals. He only played three seasons in the Premier League. So I don't know where we can put him. Fernando Torres had, was a, one of the most feared strikers on the planet at Liverpool. And he was one of the most laughed at strikers when he played for Chelsea. Uh, Darren Bent, or not Darren Bent. Uh, crap, I'm forgetting. Jermaine Defoe currently sits eighth in the Premier League, all-time scoring. Uh, I don't know. There's so many good strikers on here. But uh, where's he at? Or is he at Robbie Fowler? He can go up in the B tier. Robbie Fowler, Liverpool legend. He can go up in the B tier. Who else do we got on here? I think we could throw the likes of. It's hard because you got to look at the actual strike. I think we could throw Diego Costa up in the B tier. Got two Premier League titles from Chelsea. Had three really good seasons for Chelsea and then went to Atletico Madrid. He's starting to tail off a little bit. I think Gianfranco Zola can go up in the B tier as well. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I think he can go up in the B tier. Teddy Sheringham can go up in the B tier. Mark Hughes can go up in the B tier. There's just three straight Manchester United players. Uh, Romelu Lukaku, I think, can go up in the B tier as well. He's had a, a very interesting career, but he currently sits 19th all-time in goal scoring, under 13 goals in the Premier League. Scored at will at Everton. Scored very much so in his first season at Manchester United, then kind of... I don't know. The the touch kind of became a huge talking point, and then everybody was kind of tired of him. So they're like, yeah, let's, 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 let's just move on from him. But Dimitar Berbatov, another Manchester United player, I think he has to go up in the B tier as well for his time, not only at Manchester United, which is what he's really remembered for, but his time as Tottenham Hotspur as well, where he scored 27 goals in 70 games, 46 goals in all competitions, 23 goals in his first two seasons, at Tottenham, 46 goals put together. He had a great he had great success at Tottenham. He could have been a legend at Manchester United. He's kind of like a cult hero at Manchester United because he could do anything he wanted to anybody on a football field or a soccer field, whatever you want to call it. And he would just dominate. He's like the new age or the, the older version of Anthony Martial who could do anything to anybody at will, but sometimes his laziness becomes a factor it it just does it just does Robbie Keane I think we have to throw him up in B tier as well Nicholas Anelka B tier there's a lot of people in B tier <laughs> it's hard these guys are all very very good strikers so I it's hard for me to have people lower than others on this line I can put Dion Dublin in the D tier I guess <laughs> he was an absolute wreck at <laughs> at Manchester United. And out of all the players that have scored 100-plus goals in the Premier League, Deion Dullet, where is he at? Yeah, it's not it's not great. He scored two goals in his time at Manchester United. Earned a big money transfer to Manchester United, and it just didn't work out in the end. But you know what? It's whatever. He's up there now. Uh, Jermaine Defoe, he scored a lot of goals, hasn't played, he's played a lot of games as well. So in that regard of goals to game ratio, out of everybody in the top 10, he, he has the second worst, but the next one is Frank Lampard, who's a midfielder 
So that's not great. So we're going to throw him in that tier. I think Teddy, do we want to put Teddy Sheringham back down a tier? Because Teddy Sheringham scored 146 goals. But I don't know. Where do we want to put Teddy Sheringham? I think I can keep him up in the B tier. He played a lot of games in the Premier League. A lot of games in the Premier League. Out of everybody in the top 11, he has the third worst goals to game ratio. Tied pretty much on par with Jermaine Defoe. I don't know. He's a legend at Tottenham Hotspur. Played a bit part role at Manchester United. Oh, my God. I don't know where to put him. We'll come back to that one in a little bit. But right now, he can stay up there. Fernando Torres, again, this is this one's going to be a hard one. Because he has two... It's much like Michael Owen. You have two type... You have two, like, eras of player. You have the Liverpool one, and then you have the Chelsea one. So let's read off his Liverpool stats. 65 goals in 102 games. 81 goals in all competitions. Scored 24 goals in his first season in the Premier League. And then you look at Chelsea. He scored 20 goals in 110 games at Chelsea. He scored... 45 goals in 172 games he scored zero goals he had no seasons over 10 goals at Chelsea he did that three to four seasons at Liverpool and he only played half the season for Liverpool in 2010-11 played 23 games got nine goals at Chelsea in that second half of the season played 14 games got one goal one goal in 18 competitions there's two types to Fernando Torres' career. The one that destroyed defenses and the one that looked lost. And that was a lot of it. After Liverpool, he just looked like a different player. He scored 33 goals in his first season at Liverpool in all competitions. It was just a downhill fall from there. He scored a lot of goals in the Champions League. He scored a lot of goals for Chelsea in the Champions League. Nine goals in the Champions League. In 2012-13. It was a great year for Chelsea. Great year for Chelsea. For, I don't know. For like Europa League and stuff. They won the Europa League. They got to the semifinals of pretty much everything. They were runner-up and everything. They were third place in the Premier League. Man. I don't know. It's hard to rank Fernando Torres. Because you can say it's the same thing with Mike Lowen. I think we'll just throw him in B tier. Because, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where you can put him because it's like he. I don't know. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. He can go in C tier. Emmanuel Adebayor. This is an interesting one. This guy could dominate a game if he so felt it. He was lethal. But then he had a lot of weird stuff coming off the field. He had the whole Manchester City versus Arsenal type thing. He scored 30 goals, 24 goals in the Premier League in 2007-8. But after that, he can go in C tier. He, yeah, Emmanuel Adebayor goes in the C tier. Now we've got three strikers left. Three strikers left. We have Mark Viduca from Leeds, Les Ferdinand, who's pictured in a Tottenham shirt, but played a lot for Newcastle. He's a very good partner with Alan Shearer. And then Niall Quinn from... Sunderland for Les Ferdinand he's the best goal scorer out of these guys sits top 10 in Premier Leagues and all-time goal scoring list 
149 goals in 351 total games in the Premier League, but wasn't very lethal after he left Newcastle. Scored 25 goals in his first season at Newcastle. Was a very good striker for Queen's Park Rangers in the Premier League. Scored over 15 goals in all three seasons in the Premier League for Queen's Park Rangers. He's played multiple seasons before that, but they were in the first division that was before the Premier League started, as I said earlier. Started in 92. So where do you put Les Ferdinand? He kind of... He's top 10 all-time in goal scoring. So we can't ignore that. He had a very lethal partnership with Alan Shearer. Do we put him in B tier? I think we have to put him in B tier. Mark Viduka, the Australian, playing for Leeds United. Where do we rank Mark Viduka? I don't even know how to spell his name. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember how to spell his name. But he was a good, great player in his time for Leeds and Australia. In his time in the Premier League, for New, for Leeds United, scored 59 goals in all in uh. The Premier League, 17 goals, 11 goals, 20, and 11 goals for Leeds United. And then went to Middlesbrough, scored 14 goals in 2006-07. And then at Newcastle, he didn't really do anything. So, it's this is the problem because we have all these players that were great for a little bit. And they did absolutely nothing for the remainder of their time in the Premier League. He scored 59 goals in his first four seasons of the Premier League. After that combined between the next five seasons he scored a grand total of 33 so that's the problem we're facing with these players because some of these guys were very very good for just a short little time they weren't really consistently good or they were good for a short bit and then that was it and now our last one here we got niall quinn Player from Manchester City, Arsenal, Sunderland. Where do we rank him? Because he was in the first division with Arsenal and Manchester City. Then came up through the Premier League. Then dropped down to the first division when that was the championship. I don't know. I think we'll just throw him in C tier as well. So that's our tier list. I might adjust it a little bit because Teddy Sheringham. I don't know if I can keep him up above Fernando Torres, but... Yeah, I'll keep it like that. So here we go. Goat tier, Alan Shearer, Wayne Rooney, Tierra Henry, and Sergio Aguero. A tier, Harry Kane, Andy Colt, Dennis Bergkamp, D.A. Drogba, Eric Cantona, Rude Van Nistelrooy, Robin Van Persty, and Luis, Luis Suarez. B tier, Ian Wright, Dwight York, Jamie Vardy, Michael Owen, uh, Carlos Tevez, Robbie Fowler, Diego Costa, Gianfranco Zola, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Mark Hughes, Romelu Lukaku, Dimitar Berbatov, Robbie Keane, Nicholas Anelka, Les Ferdinand, and then C tier Fernando Torres, Jermaine Defoe, uh, Teddy Sheringham, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, Emmanuel Adebayor, Mark Viduka, Niall Quinn, and then D tier Dion Dublin. So that is our tiers for the greatest strikers in Premier League history. We'll post that on Twitter shortly. And when we come back here on this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show, we have some football to talk about, which we'll hopefully get enough time to talk about. Before this show is over, I will see you guys in a little bit. Welcome back, everybody. It is the last half hour of this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you all are enjoying your Friday or whatever day you're listening to this on. A reminder 
to go follow the Logan Blackman show on all our social media accounts at the underscore LB underscore show is the show's Twitter account. Go follow my personal Twitter account at the, no, at Logan underscore Blackman. Go follow the Instagram account, search the Logan Blackman show on Instagram. Go search my name as well, just Logan Blackman. Go follow both Facebook page. We're trying to get to 150 likes. Just go up and give the Facebook a big old thumbs up. We're at 101 likes right now. It's really cool that we're at 101 likes. I didn't really think it'd get to a, over 100 likes at any point in time. And go subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. I've got a YouTube video planned out. I just need to execute it in the coming weeks. Saving up for a camera so we can get this video out of the way. Because it's gonna. I think it'd be a good video. I think it'd be a very nice and humorous video. I want to get a better way of uh, broadcasting the show, to say the least. So with that being said... Let's dive right in to our next talking point here on the show. We've got the top 10 quarterbacks in college football. And we were trying to get to this on Wednesday. I almost forgot what day it was, but we didn't have time to get to it. We talked about Justin Ross, and that was the only college football stuff we talked about. So let's get into this rankings. This isn't a tier list. This is just top 10 quarterbacks in college football as far as this see upcoming season comes and i think number one without a doubt i think number one and two are unquestionable before we start there's no fcs quarterbacks so no trey lance or will McIlvain in this one for all you fcs football fans there's no naia so all you alex crehan fans out there this isn't that kind of list it's just fbs quarterbacks so we'll start off with number one i think again number one and two are blatantly obvious i don't think you can there's no if ands, or buts about who's number one and two. It's just a matter of where you rank those guys in number one and two. Because the number one and two quarterbacks are easily Justin Fields and Tre- Trevor Lawrence. Where you rank the pair is a different story. So here we go. Let's go off with number one. And I have Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback for Clemson, winner of a national championship in his freshman year of college. Had a little bit of a what some would consider a down year from coming off a national championship season. But he's just a great football player. In regards to stats go, he had more touchdowns, more yards, higher completion percentage, and more attempts while having an average complete uh, his average throw going of nine yards instead of eight point three from his freshman year. His quarterback rating was also up from the season before as well. And the thing that separates Trevor Lawrence from Justin Fields is the game where they faced off against each other, where Ohio State looked like they had Clemson dead and buried in the game. It looked like it was over. They just hit Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence looked like he was done. The score was, what, 10-0 to after the first quarter. I got to go by this because I can't remember how exactly it went down. So it was 16 to nothing in the second quarter. And then with two minutes left in the second quarter, Clemson gets a touchdown. And then... A minute left, Trevor Lawrence is a 67-yard touchdown run to get it to 14-16. 16 nothing lead for Ohio State. Clemson claws their way back. Ohio State extends the lead again. 20, or Clemson gets the lead. 21-16, Trevor Lawrence. 53-yard pass, uh, pass to Travis Etienne. And then Justin Fields, pass to Chris Olave. Gets them the lead, 23-21. Travis Etienne scores with another pass from Trevor Lawrence. And as the game is winding down... Justin Fields, who had thrown one interception the entire season, throws one to Isaiah Simmons, and then one in the back of the end zone to end the game. 
Game was over. 37 seconds left. Justin Fields pass intercepted in the end zone. Justin Fields' hands went straight to his head. Trevor Lawrence brought Clemson back in this game. Trevor Lawrence won a national championship as a freshman and just embarrassed Tua Tagovailoa and the Alabama Crimson Tide in their in the national championship. It just absolutely embarrassed them. What was the final score of the game? It was like 45-14 to 14 or something like that. It was an utter domination against what everybody thought was the best team in the country. 44-16. to 16. So I was as close as you could probably get. They absolutely embarrassed them. 347 yards in that game for Trevor Lawrence. 327 yards against Notre Dame in the, the semifinal game. In that season for Clemson, they had one game that they... Or two games, my bad. That they beat their opponents by multiple multiple points they had two games where the tie, the games were decided in single digits one was against texas a&m where uh clemson legend and i try to get my friend jared on this bandwagon but he never went around to it kelly bryant clemson almost lost to texas a&m and they almost lost to syracuse which was an upset game that could have possibly happened trevor lawrence didn't have the greatest game against syracuse and i actually think he got hurt so kelly bryant went into the game is that right? Or Chase Bryce. Oh, yeah, because Kelly Bryant did the best teammate thing in the world thing and just completely just said, I'm done with the team. And, yeah, Chase Bryce went in. Chase Bryce, now the quarterback of Duke. See how he does in his first season of the Duke, Bull, Duke Blue Devils quarterback. But Trevor Lawrence just, he's a winner. Not saying Tre- Justin Fields isn't, but Trevor Lawrence went into the season with a guy that just went to the national championship game and beat him out and then went on to win a national championship game. Justin Fields, this isn't saying anything bad about Justin Fields. Justin Fields went into Georgia after the quarterback just went to a national championship game, didn't beat him out, and then transferred to Ohio State, and has had some has had success at Ohio State. So it's both worked out for them. But Trevor Lawrence, to me, is just the, the epitome of a winner. Down 16 to nothing, gets a concussion in the game, comes back in. He was, he was knocked out. Comes in, gets a rushing touchdown, gets a few passing touchdowns, and gets Clemson the win to go to the national championship game and go it up against the greatest college football team of all time, the LSU Tigers. So they were just that that was just an uphill battle to climb anyways against LSU. But Trevor Lawrence just did what Trevor Lawrence does and won the game for Clemson against Ohio State. Justin Fields threw two interceptions in the game. After he threw one the entire season, you threw two in the national champ the semifinals. It's not where you want to throw your first your second and third interception of the season. Again, it's not saying anything bad about Justin Fields. It's saying how good Trevor Lawrence is. And Justin Fields is still the best, second-best quarterback in college football. Justin Fields last year put up some godly numbers. He threw, 43, like, I think, 43 touchdowns and three picks the entire season. So it's not saying anything bad about Ju- uh, Justin Fields. So don't get this twisted. He threw 41 touchdowns, three interceptions, completed 67% of his passes while passing for 3,200 yards while being in the best rushing attack in college football, out of the triple option schools, outside of the triple option schools. In college, he has thrown three interceptions. That is including his time at Georgia. But you don't want to go into a semifinal game and throw your second and third interceptions. That's not really what you're planning to do. But that was the most I think he's passed the entire season, which is 46 attempts. So maybe he was a little bit, I don't know. Ohio State will be back up there again. They're going to be talented. Ohio State craps out talent. They'll be up there again. Justin, uh, Trevor Lawrence will be without number one wide receiver 
Justin Ross, but I think the guys they have can are certainly capable of stepping up in Justin Ross's absence. So those were obvious picks for the number one and two quarterbacks in college football. Let's get into number three. This is where it's a little bit more of a hot topic, hot button issue. Who's the third best quarterback in college football? Who's the best after Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields? In my very humble opinion, I believe it's Sam Howell from North Carolina. He was a true freshman quarterback last year, threw 38 touchdowns, seven picks, and threw for 3,600 yards in his first season at North Carolina. This is why, with his development going into year two, is why I have North Carolina winning their side of the ACC because of Sam Howell and all the players that they are returning from the season before. In his last five games of the regular of the last five games of the season, they lost to Pitt and Virginia, but in those five games, he threw for three, six, nine, 12, 16 touchdowns and two picks in his last five games of the season. Now I know you're sitting there going Logan's against Mercer and NC State and Temple. Okay, fine. He still had to put up numbers. You could play those games and still suck. It's still possible to not be very good in those games. Look at what Nathan Peterman's done in his career so far in the NFL. Chargers weren't a playoff team when they crapped on the Bills, but Nathan Peterman still sucked. Now the offensive line of the Bills and the defensive line of the Chargers, which were complete opposites of each other to say the least. But Sam Howell is an absolute beast, and I think North Carolina will be one of those more improved teams than last year. Last year they finished seven and six. Mac Brown got them the bowl eligibility. I think they can be up there in wins because you look at their schedule; they're not playing Clemson this year. That is huge. The first three games of the schedule, though, are a little tough. At UCF, then Auburn, and I know it's an FCS opponent, but James Madison finished second in the FCS last year, lost in the national championship game to North Dakota State. They're going to be with the new quarterbacks. We'll see how they do there, but it's still a tough opponent. You can't overlook James Madison just because they're FCS. I do totally think North Carolina will beat them, but you never know. UCF and Auburn aren't the best teams in the world, but they are going to be up there as well. Both teams have very talented quarterbacks with Dylan Gabriel, UCF, and Bo Nix of Auburn. So they're not the greatest teams of all time, but they will be tougher games. And then their schedule kind of eases off. You can play Georgia Tech, Virginia, Virginia Tech. I think both Virginia and Virginia Tech lost their starting quarterbacks from the year before. I know Virginia did. I'm guessing on Virginia Tech. So I know Bryce Perkins is now in the NFL. I don't know exactly where he is. Duke. At Duke with Chase Bryce coming in as the new quarterback for the Duke Blue Devils. Miami, Derek King coming in will be the new quarterback there. They should be much improved. They got a couple players that could be top draft picks in the next year's draft. Then UConn, who sucked last year. Pitt's always a mystery. Then Boston College and NC State. All winnable games. Those first two, three games of the season are tough. Virginia Tech, Miami, and Duke will be tough games. Because Duke and Miami are both on the road. But their schedule is not the toughest thing in the world, especially looking at who they are returning to their team. So you obviously got Sam Howell there at quarterback. Expect his numbers to go up again. You got Michael Carter coming back, who's a thousand yard rusher last year for North Carolina. You got Javante Williams near a thousand yards rusher last year, 933 yards for him as a sophomore. Now you want the rushing touchdowns to go up eight combined between the two. But near 1,000-yard rushers between the two of them. Then you got Diami Brown coming back as well. six foot one sophomore at 1,000 yards last year with 12 touchdowns. You had another 
1,000-yard receiver last year. And Daz Newsome, who's coming back as well. So their offense is just all coming back. Everybody's coming back, it seems like, for their offense. Bo Corrales, the number three wide receiver, 557 yards, is coming back. Their two running backs, their top three wide receivers and their starting quarterback are all coming back. There's no sense that this team should not be around the top. If not, again, I think they'll win their side of the ACC. I'm betting, I'm hedging my bets on that now. They will win the Coastal. They went 7-6 and last year with a freshman quarterback. I think they can they can easily win nine games this year. Easily win nine games. Maybe pushing ten. I don't know. But nine games, I think, is a reasonable shout for the North Carolina Tar Heels this year. They'll have battles with Miami. Virginia Tech's not going anywhere. Virginia might still be good, even though they lost their starting quarterback. But they went undefeated at home last year. They were one of two teams that went undefeated at home in the ACC last year. And that was along with Clemson. So Virginia will be up there as well. Virginia Tech lost one game at home last year. But North Carolina, the second highest scoring team in the Coastal Division, third highest scoring team in the ACC last year, you'd expect them to be right up there. Again, they scored 430 points last year in all competitions. They're going to be up there again. They will be up there again. Third on the list is USC's quarterback, Keaton Slovis. Keaton Slovis replaced JT Daniels after he went down with a knee injury. And led USC to the Holiday Bowl. Again, uh, not great performance from the Holiday Bowl from the USC Trojans. But, Keenan Slovis put up great numbers in his freshman season. 3,500 yards, 30 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, completing 72% of his passes. 72, 71.9% of his passes. As a true freshman, uh, he might have been retro, but you get the point. USC had recruited two five-star quarterbacks that both committed, one of them actually played for USC and JT Daniels, the other one being Bryce Young, both transferred. Bryce Young decommitted, so it's a little bit different, but he still technically left the school and went to Alabama. And then JT Daniels transferred to Georgia. So Keaton Slovis kept two five-star matter-day prospects out. Now USC, they did lose Michael Pittman. That is a big loss for the USC Trojan, but they got Amon's Amon Ross St. Brown is coming back. A 1,000-yard receiver from last year. Six touchdowns for him. Tyler Vaughn's coming back as well. Had 912 yards last year and six touchdowns. Their leading rusher from the season before, Vave Malap- Malapai, had 503 rushing yards. But they were a very heavy pass team. So maybe their numbers will go up next year for their rushing attack. Drake London coming back as well. 556, 65 yards and five touchdowns as a freshman for USC. They may have lost Michael Pittman, but they still got talent on this roster. I think Keaton Slovis is the third the fourth best quarterback in college football. Number five, this one was tough. I struggled between the two quarterbacks here. Both Big 12 quarterbacks. I think you know which two I'm talking about. So I'll tell you right now, I didn't put Spencer Rattler in here because he hasn't played, he hasn't started any significant time in college. So I can't in good conscience, put him on this list because he hasn't played. I know the hype train is insane, but he hasn't played. So we can't put him in the list. These quarterbacks, one of them had 3,900 yards. The other one had 3,600 yards. One threw for 32 touchdowns and 10 picks. The other one threw for 27 touchdowns and 9 picks. 
at number four or number five, I put Texas's Sam Ellinger. It's very close. It's very close between him and number six, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Sam Ellinger has progressed each year as a starting quarterback for the Texas Longhorns. He has thrown 32 touchdowns, which, again, keeps going up every year. His completion percentage goes up every year. His attempts go up every year. His yards per attempt go up. His quarterback rating goes up. His rushing yards, he had one less attempt from the season before. He almost had 200 yards more rushing, 200 more rushing yards than the season before. He had less touchdowns, but he was averaging 4.1 yards per attempt as opposed to 2.9 in 2018. Sam Ellinger is a big physical quarterback that is not afraid to run somebody over. And I know he can be a little cringy with the, especially with the weird back thing that he did with Texas, but he's still a very, very good quarterback. As opposed, as in the, if you look at the physical runner, the taking more chances type thing, he does that more than number six, which is Iowa State's Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy, a little shorter, a little smaller than Sam Ellinger. But he's improved on his touchdowns, he's improved on his yards, but his completion percentage and his average per attempt and his quarterback rating all went down from the season prior. And with Sam Ellinger and all the other quarterbacks on this list, their numbers have gone up each year. Brock Purdy's actually went down. I know he attempted more passes, but if you look at the other quarterbacks we've mentioned, their passes have also gone up. They haven't attempted less passes. Brock Purdy also ran a lot less. Or not a lot less, but there was a lot less designed runs for Brock Purdy going into the season, especially early, because they didn't want to get hurt against the likes of Northern Iowa. But he had more rushing touchdowns from the season prior. In every aspect except for passing yards and touchdowns, his numbers are all down from the season before. Rushing numbers, passing numbers, they're all down from the season before. That doesn't mean he's not a good quarterback. Brock Purdy is an excellent quarterback in college football and will be a very good quarterback. Arguably, Iowa State's most talented quarterback. Well, not arguably. I think it's obvious. He's the most talented quarterback they've had since Seneca Wallace. And he might be up there maybe past Seneca Wallace at some point. Both were number 15. They just might have to straight up retire that number. Because number 15 at Iowa State, or that's like your GOAT number. You want the best player to wear 15. But, yeah, Brock... Out of all the quarterbacks that are returning from ne- to next year, he ranked second out of passing yards in the nation. He ranked fifth in the nation passing yards. Joe Burrow, Anthony Gore, and Cole McDonald all went pro. Brady White in Memphis is still there, but he only finished a few yards above Brock Purdy in passing yards. But the thing that separates Brock Purdy from the rest of the top five is that everything other than his yards and touchdowns went down from the season prior. Trevor Lawrence's numbers went up from the season prior. Sam Ellinger, numbers went up and have been going up in all of three years of college. But it's not saying Brock Purdy is not an excellent quarterback. And since we mentioned Brady White, let's go to him. Brady White from Memphis. Memphis, great season last year. His numbers, much like all the other quarterbacks on this list, have been improving year in and year out. His attempts have gone up. His completion percentage has gone up. His yards gone up. Touchdowns gone up. Average per attempt gone up. Quarterback rating gone up. And they won 11 games last year. They went 11 and 2. Went to the freaking Cotton Bowl, I believe, against Penn State. And he's just a very talented quarterback. Out of the returning quarterbacks, he has the most passing yards. First of the nation in passing yards, 4,014 yards, 33 touchdowns, 11 picks. That's what he had from the season prior. 
Now, it separates him a lot from the rest of the quarterbacks. Well, actually, kind of similar to Slovis, not a great threat running the ball is Brady White. Got sacked 27 times last year, had negative 71 yards rushing, but he had four touchdowns. So, that, positives, <laughs> positives here. But he's just a very talented quarterback. Memphis is getting a new coach this year, so we'll see how they perform with that. So, he's your number seven quarterback. Number eight, this is where it gets a little tricky. I was confident with one through seven. Then going to eight is where I start losing faith in my list. Like I start thinking about, man, well, the this guy would have been better here, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it, this guy made more sense going here? So I don't even know if I'll rank the rest of them. I might just say names and the rest of the top five. But number eight, I think, is Ian Book from Notre Dame. Now, he had a really – he had a – Completion percentage-wise, he had a down year. His completion percentage went from 68.2 to 60.2. That is a big decrease in completion percentage. A massive decrease. 8%. That's not great. But his yards and touchdowns went up, and his interceptions went down. So that we're looking at the positives here. But in every sense, he had a down year. Notre Dame went to the college football playoff in his first year as a starter, and they didn't really do anything last year. And rushing-wise, his numbers rushing went up. His attempts went up, his yards went up, touchdowns stayed the same, average went up as well. He's still a talented quarterback, but he didn't have the greatest year of what we're, what people are expecting out of him. But in his last three game, or last four games of the regular season, including the bowl game, he threw 13 touchdowns and no interceptions. 13 touchdowns and no interceptions. Two games where he completed above 70% of his passes. Against two near or our top 25 teams in Navy and Iowa State. Against Bowling Green, obviously, five touchdowns, 80% completion percentage. That's expected. Struggled against Georgia in that first game, or the third game of the season. Number three, Georgia, but they almost won. 23-17 was the final at Georgia. Very hostile environment, but he still performed admirably there. He had a very bad game against Michigan. Worst game of the season. 32% 32% completion percentage. That's where it's kind of dropped down. He had three, four straight games of a sub-60% completion percentage. Against USC, Michigan, Virginia Tech, and Duke, he had 53% of his passes, 32, 57, and 56. That's not great for Ian Book. But he's still talented, and I think he'll have a better year going into this season. Number nine on this list, this one might be a little controversial, but... Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. It is Jaden Daniels from Arizona State. True freshman quarterback playing for Herm Edwards. Beat the Oregon Ducks when they were looking like to lock up a spot in the college football playoff. He threw three touchdowns in that game. Now, in his last two games of the season, he did not throw a touchdown pass. But they won. They rode the wave with Eno Benjamin. He struggled heavily in the bowl game, but they still won the game. In his first season at Arizona State, 2,900 yards, 17 touchdowns, and only two interceptions as a true freshman playing in the Pac-12. It's not the easiest conference in the world. Six foot three, 175 pounds. If he puts on more weight and continues to improve like he has, he can be an absolute beast in college. I'm interested to see what he'll do in his second season as the starter for Arizona State. And again, those last two games, he didn't throw a single touchdown pass. He didn't, but... In games prior to that, as we said, 17 touchdowns, two picks. In his 
the last the three games prior to that, he threw th- nine touchdowns and no picks. And that was against Oregon. His last game against Oregon. Three touchdowns, zero picks, 408 yards. His best game in college came against the number six team in the country. Impressive stuff there for the young quarterback. Very impressive stuff. And Arizona State's no world beaters. Their team was not great. They almost lost to Sacramento State. They're not world beaters. But he has the talent to be a top quarterback in college football, which is why I have him at number nine. And at number 10, I have three quarterbacks. I couldn't decide which one. I have Kyle Trask from Florida, who Florida is expecting to take a huge leap this year. Derek King, mostly because he didn't play a single. He barely played last year, but he's still a top quarterback. And Shane Bouchelle from SMU. Shane Bouchelle, let's start off with the latter. Shane Bouchelle has the best passing numbers out of those ones. Shane Bouchelle ranked sixth in the nation in passing yards, 3,900 yards, 34 touchdowns, 10 picks, 62% completion percentage while playing for a very good SMU team. A very good SMU team. For Kyle Trask, the Florida Gators, there a lot is expected from Florida this year. A lot. Because they had a decent team last year. They had a really good run last year. Kyle Trask was Derek King's backup in high school. How crazy is that? He's Derek King's backup, and I have him ranked the exact same out of all the quarterbacks in college football. Kyle Trask completed 67% of his passes, 2,900 yards, 25 touchdowns, seven picks. And this isn't even, he didn't even start the full season because Felipe Franks got hurt at the start of the season. And Felipe Franks transferred to Arkansas because of that. So this is, it's interesting because, again, Derrick King didn't play a lot last year. But he holds a lot of records for, in regards to passing and rushing numbers while at Houston. Derrick King is a very, very good quarterback. One of my favorite quarterbacks. In college football, I love watching Derrick King play. Houston, when he was at the top, and Houston was dominant and doing very, very well, minus last year, he was one of the most fun quarterbacks to watch in college football. Easily one of the most fun quarterbacks to watch in the country. And now, he's going in and will be the starting quarterback, it seems, for the Miami Hurricanes. Because you got starting quarterback Williams transferring, and then you've got um, what's his name? The the famous dude, Tate Martell, <laughs> the famous dude that's never done anything. Tate Martell's still there. The Kozai Perry, I don't know if he's transferring or not, but Derek King is a great quarterback. I don't like the fact that he left Clemson right at the beginning of the season. He was not having the greatest season. Memphis or Houston did not have the greatest season, but in his second year as the starting quarterback, the full-time starting quarterback, he threw 2,900 yards, 36 touchdowns, and six interceptions. While completing 63% of his passes. Rushing-wise, in that season, 674 yards and 14 touchdowns. So he was responsible for 50 touchdowns on the season for Houston. 50 touchdowns. Insane. And then he had a little bit of a decrease in play his last year at Houston. Now he's going to Miami. Will he go back to his junior year at Houston? I keep saying Memphis. Houston, we'll see. I really like Derek King, but I don't know. I, I can't separate those three because they all do three things that are very different. Shane Bouchelle in SMU, very good season last year. Finished right behind Memphis in the AAC standings. It was 6-2, and 10-3 overall record. They were right there. Scored 544 points. 
342 points, which was the most in the entire American Athletic Conference. Even past Memphis, past Navy, past UCF. And scored 100 more points than the team that finished top in the East with Cincinnati scoring 242 points. In the conference, in the conference. Kyle Trask didn't start the full season for the Florida Gators, but he's expected to be a reason why they're so good this year. They ranked sixth last year, finished 11-2. They went undefeated at home. But the main reason was, a lot of people point to this, their defense was one of the best in the country. But points forced-wise, as far as the SEC East goes, they were the top dogs in scoring-wise. Obviously not touching Alabama and LSU in the conference scoring ranks, but they were top in the East. And Kyle Trask, his elevation from this last year to next year is going to be a big reason why Florida is as good as they're going to be next year. So I can't necessarily, I can't really separate those three between Trask, Derrick King, and Shane Bouchelle. Because Derrick King didn't play barely last year. He's had really only one good season in college football. But I don't know. We'll have to wait and see how those three do this year before I can totally separate them. Those not mentioned, Dylan Gabriel from UCF. He may not be the starter. Mackenzie Milton is coming back as far as I know. They got another quarterback in there as well, but I can't remember. Michael Cunningham from Louisville, not mentioned in there. Spencer Rattler for Oklahoma hasn't played that much in college, if at all. Dorian Thompson-Robinson for UCLA, talented, but UCLA is not a good team. They finished 4-8 last year. They're not that talented of a team. Jamie Newman, he's had some success at Wake Forest. He will go in and be the Georgia Bulldogs' number one guy, and he's going to be one of the top dogs in you would expect in – the ne- in next year's NFL draft. You expect him to be talked about in the first round. But will he be in the first round? Will he be a first-round draft pick? Time will tell. He had he had decent numbers in his last season at, Florida, or at Wake Forest. But will he rank... Will he get Georgia to the next level that Jake Fromm couldn't get him to? Then you got Miles Brennan from LSU. He's barely played in college. Mac Jones, Bryce Young from Alabama. Don't know who's going to be the starter. For there, I believe it's going to be Bryce Young because Mac, but because Mac Jones doesn't do anything special. But then that said, Mac Jones didn't do anything to lose the starting job either. Uh, Bo Nix, Kellen Mond, and KJ Costello are also not mentioned in here as well. So those are my top ten quarterbacks in college football, and you guys can make your own list if you want to. I don't really care. You guys can do whatever you want. And before this show is over, we got a little bit of time left. So, let's do our backup quarterback tier list. Yeah, let's do that. So, it's just the same thing we've always done on all of our tier lists. We go through divisions. No ranking system in the divisions. So, it's just alphabetical order for the divisions. And then the best backup quarterback there. So, we'll start off with the AFC North, North, South, East, West. Start off with the AFC because it's alphabetically first. And we'll go with Baltimore versus Cincinnati. Robert Griffin III versus Ryan Finley and Case Keenum versus Mason Rudolph. I think it's easy wins for both these teams. I think RG3 destroys Ryan Finley. I think Case Keenum murders Mason Rudolph. I think that's very obvious. And then Case Keenum versus RG3. I will take cuz if you if the starter gets hurt, will the backup be able to go in and do similar things that the starter does? That's what you look for as a backup. 
That's what you're really hoping for. That We will not lose a step if the backup comes in. I think both those guys can do that for their respective teams. Case Keenum is just an older mirror image of Baker Mayfield at this point. Colin Coward, when Baker was coming out, said Case Keenum was one of his low points. So they're very similar in quarterbacks. RG3 has been a great mentor for Lamar Jackson, was Lamar Jackson, before Lamar Jackson came to the league. If Lamar Jackson got had injuries, he may be RG3. I think he's a, it's not even close how much better of a quarterback is, but RG3 was very talented when he came to the league. I had the cleats and everything. I had the socks, cleats. He was one of my favorite players coming out. But between the two, I am going to go with RG3 over Case Keenum. Uh, for the AFC South, we got Houston, AJ McCarron versus Jacoby Brissett in Indianapolis. And then Mike Glennon versus Logan Woodside of Tennessee. If you don't know who Logan Woodside is, he played in the AAF, the, or the, yeah, Alliance of American Football. He played there. Don't remember him? Okay, well, that's all I'm going to really say about him because they're not much to remember. So Mike Glennon wins that one. And then Jacoby Brissett beats AJ McCarron. AJ McCarron has had chances to be a starter in the NFL, both in Cincinnati and Buffalo, and hasn't taken advantage of those two. I loved AJ McCarron at Alabama. I was on the AJ McCarron for like Dark Horse Heisman train for a little bit, but he's not better than Jacoby Brissett at this point. So Jacoby Brissett wins that, and Jacoby Brissett walks all over Mike Glennon in that one. AFC East, Matt Barkley versus Ryan Fitzpatrick. Brian Hoyer versus Joe Flacco. Well, I think those are two easy ones there as well. Ryan Fitzpatrick beats Matt Barkley, and Joe Flacco beats Brian Hoyer. Easy. And then I think Ryan Fitzpatrick beats Joe Flacco. So, there you go. There's That one's pretty easy as well. AFC West, I did not know Denver's backup. Same with Tennessee. Did not know their backups until I looked it up. Denver's is Jeff Driscoll, former Florida quarterback, played with the Detroit Lions, uh, played for Louisiana Tech as well, versus Chad Henney of the Kansas City Chiefs, then Marcus Mariota versus Justin Herbert. For this one, I'm going to go with Chad Henney beating... Jeff Driscoll, and I'm going to Mark, Marcus Mariota beating Justin Herbert in that one of that just Marcus Mariota beating Chad Henney in the AFC West. So your finalists for the AFC are RG3 from the Ravens, Jacoby Brissett from Indy, Ryan Fitzpatrick from Miami, and Marcus Mariota from the Vegas Raiders. Um, then in the semifinals, we got RG3 versus Jacoby Brissett and Ryan Fitzpatrick versus Marcus Mariota. I think we have to go with RG3 over Jacoby Brissett. I think you have to, because Jacoby Brissett, though had some success at points last year, tallied off like crazy towards the end of the season. And then Ryan Fitzpatrick beats Marcus Mariota. And then as the best quarterback in the AFC, it has to be Ryan Fitzpatrick. Dude led the Dolphins in rushing last year and is well-known worldwide for being the worst quarterback for tanks. Everybody loves Ryan Fitzpatrick. Everybody pretty much loves RG3 as well, as, as much as I can tell. I love RG3, but Ryan Fitzpatrick is a better backup quarterback than RG. He's very close, but that's what I would go with. Uh, the NFC, going with the North, North, South, East, West. Chicago, Nick Foles versus Chase Daniel for the Detroit Lions. And then Jordan Love versus Sean Mannion of the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Nick Foles beats Chase Daniel. Two legendary backup quarterbacks in the NFL. They, everybody knows that. And then Jordan Love, though he hasn't played a snap in the NFL is a better quarterback than Sean Mannion. I can just say that wholeheartedly without even really thinking about it. Jordan Love's a better quarterback than him. 
but I'm going to pick Nick Foles over Jordan Love in that, so Nick Foles wins that. NFC South, Matt Schaub versus Will Greer and Taysom Hill versus Blaine Gabbert. As of right now, Taysom Hill is listed as the backup quarterback in the New Orleans Saints. So I will go Matt Schaub over Will Greer and Taysom Hill over Blaine Gabbert, and then Taysom Hill beating Matt Schaub to take over the NFC South crown. NFC East, Andy Dalton versus Colt McCoy and Jalen Hurts versus Kyle Allen. Andy Dalton beats Colt McCoy, and Kyle Allen beats Jalen Hurts. And then Andy Dalton beats Kyle Allen in the semifinals. Because Jalen Hurts hasn't played a snap in the NFL, and I think he's very talented and is a more talented quarterback. Kyle Allen has had starting experience. This is different than Sean Mannion versus Jordan Love. Jordan Love hasn't played a snap in the NFL. Sean Mannion has never started in the NFL, to my knowledge. He played for the Rams and now the Vikings. He's been a backup the whole time. Actually, he started one game, in my, to my knowledge, which was last year, the last game of the regular season last year. So that's the difference here. Yes, Jalen Hurts is better than Kyle Allen. But as far as what we know right now, Kyle Allen has played in the NFL, can play in the NFL, though not great. We were, on the fir- we were one of the first in the world to be on the Kyle Allen hate fan t- train, <laughs> saying he wasn't very good. But... Yeah, at that point, he's gonna. we're taking him over Jalen Hurts at this point in time. If I was building a team, I would take Jalen Hurts, obviously. But right now, in this bracket-wise, Kyle and Allen's more tread on his tires. And Andy Dalton wins that. NFC South, Brett Hundley versus John Wolford, former Wake Forest quarterback, I believe. And then Nick Mullins of San Francisco versus Geno Smith of Seattle. Uh, Brett Hundley wins that one easily, and the Geno Smith wins that one against Nick Mullins. And then Geno Smith wins the NFC South. So you've got Nick Foles of Chicago, Taysom Hill, New Orleans, Andy Dalton, Dallas, and Geno Smith of Seattle. It's unfair to Taysom Hill, but Nick Foles is arguably the greatest backup quarterback of all time. I think you throw Don Strzok in there. Earl Morrill can be thrown in there as well. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick can get thrown in there. Like There's so many great legendary backup quarterbacks. But Frank Reich, but... Nick Foles might be the best out of all. He won a freaking Super Bowl as a backup. Same thing can be said uh, with Jeff Hosteller of the New York Giants. Backup quarterback, won a Super Bowl. Jim Plunkett was a backup quarterback for the Raiders when they won, I believe, their second one. I don't know about the first one, but he came in and won the Super Bowl for him. Trent Dilfer, one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. But I don't know. None of those guys have received a four-year, $88 million contract. To my knowledge. So that's my no- my reasoning there. But Taysom Hill, I feel sorry for him. And then Andy Dalton beats Geno Smith. And then Nick Foles beats Geno Smith. So now you got a backup champion. you got a championship for the ages here. Nick Foles versus Ryan Fitzpatrick. Good Lord. Legendary backup championship right here. I am going to go with Nick Foles. Surely off the fact of that he's won a Super Bowl, Ryan Fitzpatrick has not. But I love Ryan Fitzpatrick. Don't get me wrong. I love everything about Ryan Fitzpatrick. He played for the Bills. My dad loves Ryan Fitzpatrick. Legendary Bills quarterback. Colt hero in Buffalo. Colt hero pretty much everywhere. Even the teams he hasn't played for. Love Ryan Fitzpatrick. But Nick Foles is the best backup in the NFL. With that being said, I'm going to log off here for this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Probably shouldn't have done that last part. But I've been sitting on that thing since last Friday. I did it after the show last Friday. And then 
talked about it Monday and Wednesday. I had to get that thing out. But that's all we got for you today. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, life, week, month, year, whatever. Just enjoy it. And yeah, I will see you guys on Monday. There will be no show next Friday. I am got a, I am in a wedding next Friday. One of my childhood friends is getting married next Friday. So I will not be here. So there will be no Logan Blackman show for you. We might have a little treat for you. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. If someone else wants to do this for a Friday, I don't know. They can do whatever they want. If I even feel like doing that. But with that being said, let's log off for the day. I will see you guys on Monday. Take care and peace.